The following program is for adult audiences only. In this episode, we ask the question, is the paranormal about ghosts or is it about being famous? Also on the program, Johnny Depp has a necklace in his ass crack. A teenager is hospitalized after shoving a USB cable in his penis. Carjackers interrupt a couple screwing in their car. Marilyn Monroe's ghost haunts an actress. Yes, this is a new one for you, Rick. And everybody's favorite paranormal fraud, Steve Huff, is back at it again with the ghost of Queen Elizabeth. This week's Creature of the Week chases down the Brosno Dragon. And Ghostwatch continues its journey with another edition of Trailing Peter Underwood. All of that and so much more with these two amazing creatures known as Rick and Steven on this week's Shadow Initiative Paranormal Talk. And welcome one and all to another edition of the Shadow Initiative Paranormal Talk and TV. We are your hosts, ghost hunters and authors, myself, Rick Hale. And across from me, about a thousand miles away, is Mr. Stephen Lancaster. Yes, yes, yes. The self-proclaimed world's sexiest ghost hunter. I'm bringing it back, Stephen. Hey, bring it back. It it never left, son. It never (laughs) left. So before we get underway with uh, these uh, shenanigans, as Stephen likes to say, um, today marks a uh, solemn episode in our nation's history. Uh, 21 years ago today, uh, thousands of people in New York City lost their lives when terrorists flew a couple of jets into the World Trade Center. So before we get this underway, I thought that we would honor their memory with a moment of silence, which means, Stephen, you have to keep your mouth shut. All right, let's get this party started, as they we used to say back in the 90s. As they used to say, motherfucker, we still say that shit. As Rick would say, let's get this show going. It's my jam. Uh, it, it's like... When you're wiping your ass and your finger punches through that toilet paper. You know what? I'll own that one. <laughs> because all, it's, it's yeah. happened to us all. It's happened We've to us. all been there. So anytime, folks, in the future, when your finger touches that little brown spot, I want you guys to think of us. Shadow Initiative Paranormal Talk. The brown spot of the paranormal world. <laughs> So, all right. So here, you know, first off, I want to say, you know, something that, um, Stephen, I have heard uh, of people visiting the memorial um, for uh, the 9-11 and coming back with some really interesting stories, Mm -hmm. you know, seeing apparitions here. You're, you're really blurry, dude. I I know. know You're like Bigfoot. (laughs) 
I'm an enigma. Don't mind me, guys. Just just doing a little spring cleaning here at Shadow Initiative Paranormal Talk. Yeah, that's a little bit better. I could, I guess I can, I guess it's okay that I could see you better. So, anyways, um, I have heard of people going there and um actively looking for ghosts. Uh, there have been stories of people seeing apparitions as well as hearing strange sounds, but in a way, it's sort of on the ghoulish side, I guess. Um, it's a place that should be respected as, you know, with any memorial. And, um, you know, it shouldn't be a moment for ghost hunting. Uh, it, that's, that's my personal opinion, Stephen. I don't know about you. No, I agree. I agree. There's just some things that, that are, are better left alone, you know, yeah. I, I, and my camera is one of them. I'm, I, I'm getting a new camera, bro. I've got okay. to. I don't know what the deal is. Like, just doesn't want to focus. Ah! <laughs> it's 3D, bitches. I've seen better heads on boils. Um, so, hey, let's get this uh, started with our topic of the week. And our topic of the week is a little bit different than what we usually do. And we're going to be taking a look at a article written by Luis Elizondo. Now, if you don't know who Luis Elizondo is, um, he is an interesting person in ufology that you should get to know. Um, he is a former United States Army uh, counterintelligence agent um, who gave it all up and is now involved in ufology. And, you know, the whole disclosure thing and investigating. But the thing that I really, really like about Luis Elizondo is um, he is not one of these people that gives in to all the crazy conspiracy theories that seems to muck up ufology at the moment. You know, he's not one of those dudes that are like, uh, you know, there is a uh, satanic race of reptilians out there trying to eat our children. Um, He doesn't do that. But he takes a kind of a different look, you know, with like disclosure, people are always talking about how, you know, we need to open ourselves up to the, to our alien visitors. Um, he takes it a little bit differently and actually believes that these craft, um, presumably piloted by alien aliens, um, actually poses a threat to our national security, as well as the security of this, um, of this planet. I mean, what are your thoughts on that, Stephen? Do you think that they that it's something that should be embraced, or it's something like, holy shit, they may be out to get us? I think it, it it's both. I I mean, look at any species, any species, okay, any animal, human, whatever. Number one priority is survival, right? Whatever that means, you know, we have the luxury of either hunting for our own food or, or most people going to the grocery store, stuff like that. You know, we decide whether or not we're attacking another country. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're all inhabiting the same earth, but we we're still trying to blow each other up. I, I yeah. think when it comes to extraterrestrial life, we need to approach it very gingerly, mm-hmm. you know, because they're probably doing the same thing. I'd say yeah. they, they've got more of a one-up than we do. You know, they've done more exploration of us than we have of them. Um, I think that's safe to say. But I, I think you just got to you gotta walk a fine line. Like, look, you know, we're not a threat to you unless you make us one. And you're not a threat to us unless you make it one, you know? 
Right. I I know that if I was an alien zipping past this planet, I would roll the windows up and lock the doors and not want to have any dealings with the uh, with the likes of of us. Uh, you know, we fight over things like God and money and land. Um, we're we're clearly not ready for this. But let's let's look at this article that he wrote, and it's really interesting because sure, it's written from a from a perspective of of ufology, but I think that it's something that can apply to the paranormal as well. And he writes, and it's it's a really controversial subject, why ufology must die. Like he takes a very hard stance about this, but he makes some really, really good points in this article. And I posted it to our, um, our Facebook page, hashtag welcome to the initiative. Uh, for you to read it in its entirety, because you know Stephen and I were going to be talking about its uh, different um, different parts, not about your part, Stephen, but the parts of the article here. <laughs> he says, "Yes, that's right. I said it before, and I will say it again. As some people have pointed out, I want ufology, as we have known it, to die. I want to blow it up into a million pieces." Now. A lot of people in paranormal land, and I, I think that ufology fits into that as well as with, you know, cryptozoology, paranormal land. Um, a lot of people have think this is this is controversial, and saying something like this is is pretty harsh. Um, I personally don't believe that we need to destroy the paranormal, but there are some changes that need to be made, and he does. Uh, go into this. He said, simply put, the reason I stated I wanted to kill ufology was so that whatever replaces it is something more holistic and harmonized, a community that is far more academically serious and intellectually representative of the topic. So right there off the bat, we have a really interesting statement because even in the paranormal, it started out as being an academic pursuit. But it's kind of evolved into something else, um, something less academic, less, something less harmonious, something less um, harmonized. And, you know, Stephen, I want to get your take on that. That statement alone, what, what do you think he's trying to say there? And what do you think the implications are? I absolutely love, love that quote, man, mm -hmm. um, because, because it couldn't be further from the truth. You know, back in the day, it, it was it was folks with PhDs, you know, researching the paranormal people right. who, who and, and we're not saying and I don't think this chap's saying um, you got to have multiple degrees and all this stuff, but you do got to have some sense to you. And, and I think if you break that down, if you if you really pull yourself back from that quote, what's being said is. There are two sides of the paranormal research, and unfortunately, the side that most people know is the fake one. Yeah. Okay, you have the real people out there doing the research, the intelligent people, the people, put, you know, putting science into it. Uh, they're not in some uh, community that's uh, going to tell you your little piece of dust is a ghost. You know, mm -hmm. they're the real deal. But then you have the fraudulent side. You know, the Steve Huffs, the Zach Baggins, all the TV shows. But unfortunately, that's what the majority of society thinks it is. 
So I think what's being said here is all that shit needs to go away. So right. the real focus can go on the real people. Right, exactly. And I think, you know, that like television, uh, we, we, we talk ad nauseum about the television shows, but there's, there's two things that the television shows have done. One, which is a good thing, um, and I will say it's a good thing, it has kind of opened up people's perceptions that these things are real and that they do deserve to be looked into. But what it has done is it has brought about a lot of personalities into mm -hmm. this rather than people who are actually into um, exploring this topic of the unknown. We'll actually get to that because he does comment on that. And so going a little bit further in, he says, rather than a Wild West approach, I want to instill rigor, discipline, and professionalism into whatever follows. I mean, let's face it, man. There really is a lack of professionalism in this, in this community, in this field at the moment. Um, and one of the biggest problems that in professionalism that I think we face is there is a lot of backstabbing. There's a lot of people who want to be the next big paranormal thing, and they will do whatever it takes to get there. And also with professionalism is if you're going to go to a haunted location like a house, don't go in there and scream at everything that happens. I mean, if somebody farts, that doesn't mean that a ghost is trying to get a hold of you um, or trying to contact you. I had this uh, phone call a number of years ago, and it was with a woman who um, had, so, had a lot of stuff going on in her home. And uh, she was the mother. She had just gotten out of a horrible marriage, and she was um, raising her daughter who was autistic. So she contacted this paranormal group, this local paranormal group, and I'm not going to say them by name because I don't feel like dealing with the bad fucking attitudes that happened because of that. So this group said that her house was infested with demons mm -hmm. and that her special needs daughter was possessed by the devil. Now, right there, that sh I, I, if I was that woman, I'd be like, get out. You are not going to say that my autistic daughter, severely autistic daughter, is possessed by demons. Now, to add insult, even more insult to injury or injury to insult, um, they actually were going to charge this woman $3,000 to rid her house of all the demons. That is so awesome. there is exactly there's no professionalism that's involved there. And I think that you would agree. Oh, I, I do agree, man. It, it's like I've said, you know, you, you said earlier. Um, the one thing that the TV shows did good was, you know, make it less taboo, uh, make it more of something people could talk about. I think the positive to, to come out of all these TV shows is it has cattled and organized all the idiots into one area away from me. Yeah, right. That exactly. is fantastic. Save here, save here. Because those are the idiots we don't want researching the paranormal. So, yes, you can have them. Take them and keep them all over there. That way, if somebody gets a bright idea one day to just throw a grenade in the center of them, no harm, no foul. Yeah. It, well, obviously, we're not um, advocating for the uh, genocide of, of so-called paranormal researchers and investigators. So I just want to make that very clear to our listeners. Um, 
But, you know, going a little bit more into this, uh, skipping ahead, he asked the question, so why do I want to kill ufology? Um, and his first answer is, well, science, of course. And he kind of goes into like this whole analogy of the sun and stuff like that. But let's let's look on the science. I I don't think I've ever actually used the word science in what I do. I like to I like to call myself. I'm just a guy trying to figure some stuff out. But there is science that is involved here. There's another thing that has also become involved in the paranormal field or paranormal community, and that is fear based superstition. There's a whole lot of superstition that is involved. And a lot of that is because, you know, people are like, oh my God, there's demons everywhere. And they're out to turn us into their own personal hand puppets, which obviously that's not the case. Um, but there does need to be more objective. People do need to enter into these investigations more objectively. I tell people that when I investigate, I, neither, I enter your house as neither a believer or an unbeliever. I am just there to observe, document, and report. And I think that that is science in and of itself. Stephen, your thoughts? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I don't... Okay, I, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I don't... I, I've thrown around the word scientific and scientifically and, and all that kind of thing. And, and to a degree, I mean, I do bring a lot of that to what I do, you know, with measurements and everything else. But um, I, I lean more towards what you're saying. You, you know what I'm saying? Especially, mm -hmm. especially nowadays. Um, because none of that shit's actually proved anything. Right. You know what I'm saying? Well, we're, we're like, we're, uh, um, we're about 140 years into organized uh, psychical research and, and parapsychology. And really, nothing has really been proven yet. Nothing, not a damn thing. Exactly. Um, so this brings, it says here in the article, this brings me to my second point of why ufology must die. And I know you're going to like this one, Stephen. Accountability. Yes. Accountability. Not a whole lot of accountability in a paranormal land. And I just want to read you, I just want to read our listeners what he says here. It says the behavior of some self-professed ufologists and paranormal investigators, we'll put that in there, on social media has been far less productive at times. I mean, at times, <laughs> at times, I, it's like, holy shit, man. Like I go to a lot of these pages and it's like, there's so much fighting and drama and, and all this stuff. And it's, it's, it's all because there really is no accountability in this, but how do you make this accountable when you have thousands of people all vying to be the next big paranormal superstar? How do you keep it accountable, Stephen? Well, that's the thing that that area of pretending to be paranormal investigators isn't something that needs regulated. It isn't something that that needs rules. Because let's face facts, if you're working for, let's say, a big pharmaceutical, uh, a big pharmacy, you know, a pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical company, okay, if you're working for them and you create some kind of medication, but you do it unethically mm -hmm. or you lie about what you created, 
it more or less like it's a placebo. It doesn't actually do what you're saying it's going to do. Guess what happens? You go to fucking jail. That's called fraud. Right? Mm-hmm. In the real scientific world. That's another reason, like a couple shows back, we gave you 10 good reasons as to why the paranormal shows are fake. Rick just gave the 11th. There's no accountability. Mm-hmm. In reality, there would be accountability. If this was real, that video that somebody posts up claiming to be a ghost that they actually faked, they would be arrested for fraud. Right. You know, so that's just another reason why I don't even need to bother with these people. It's it's not real. It's not there's no accountability. It's one person's word against another. And it's it's like you said, or, or like the top topic of our show says. Is it about ghosts or is it about being famous? Mm -hmm. You know, and unfortunately, that whole side, it is just about being famous. It's that old joke that that I've always said, if you can't make it into acting, you go into paranormal research. If you can't make it into rock music, you go into country music. Mm -hmm. It's like the Kmart version of fulfilling your celebrity dream. It really is. The K-Bar version. I mean, come on. Anybody, anybody can get on paranormal television. I am absolute proof of that. Yeah. Yes, you are. You know what I'm saying? Anybody can get on paranormal television. Who gives a fuck? But it's, it's the, it's the people like you, like me, and many of the guests that we've had on this show, Tim Woolworth, you know, we got, we can name them all, um, that are out there doing the real thing. And in the end, that's what's going to matter. I agree. No, nobody's nobody in, in the real scientific world is going to get Zach Baggins opinion. No, nobody cares. No, no, they really don't care. They probably don't and even I, know who he is. <laughs> I, I really like this analogy that he uses. Um, and like naughty children in a sandbox, the actions of a few petulant children can drive away other children who would otherwise genuinely like to play in the sandbox too. Now that that's a huge statement and that's a, that's a really big analogy because yeah, there are some very uh, bratty children that are playing in the sandbox of paranormal land. And because of their fraud, because of their, their actions of backstabbing, because of making this look like, you know, like, like it, you know, comes out of, a, a trailer park, whatever. Um, the scientific community is going to look at that and be like, you know what? Because of these things, we're really not going to give it much attention because why bother? Because yeah. you got all these people who act like petulant little brats. Yeah, I agree. Um, and he goes further on to say, sadly, the UFO community as of late has become, and I'm going to put that as paranormal too. You can add that in there. Um, as of late has become somewhat of an irrational morass of mob rule and popularity seekers. Oh, it's so true, man. It it's is. so true. If you even dare to uh, criticize or comment on people like the Warrens, um, who I'm not really going to comment on them too much because they're dead and I don't believe in, you know, saying things about the dead. Um, or somebody like Zach Bagans, who is very much alive and refuses to come on our show and answer um, my um, 
uh, challenge that I made to him a couple of months ago. Um, so you cannot comment or criticize what these people do because the second you do, they're automatically made into the victim and you have become their apologist. And these are these people have become their apologists and they will completely ruin you just because you dared to criticize or comment on the work of their paranormal heroes. That's the mob rule that he's speaking of about that right there. Steven. Yeah, it's, it's the absolute truth. I have never seen such an example uh, of deluded minds as I have in the paranormal field. Mm -hmm. You can have all the proof in the world that Zach Baggins is a fraud, that Steve Huff is a fraud, and it goes down the line. These shows are fake. Blah blah. You can have all the proof in the world, Rick, and they will deny it. They Absolutely. just they and it scares me. It's that scares me more than the assholes like Steve Huff or Zach Baggins because they're just one person. It's the people that's that are feeding that fire that allows this person to remain a millionaire off of lies. It's those people that scare me more than anything. Because these are the same people out there ghost hunting. Right. And if you can't tell me that a show is fake, you don't have any credibility to be out there ghost hunting or mm -hmm. calling yourself a researcher when you can't even realize these shows are frauds. Right. Right. And the second thing that he puts in that is popularity seekers. I mean, let's face it, man. Yeah, I you see a lot of people, especially in social media, that their their entire desire, they don't care about the science of this. They don't care about actually trying to answer questions. They just care about being the next big paranormal superstar. Yep. That's all they care about. And one of those people we've already mentioned in my name, and we're going to tell you why we've mentioned him by name and why we're bringing him into this. And that's Steve Huff. Now, if you, now, if, you have got to know who Steve Huff is. What this guy does is um, he does these ghost box sessions, Stephen, claiming to contact um, recently deceased celebrities. Like this cat doesn't even wait for the body to get cold. No, no. Before jumping on. And his latest, see it now. Sure, he'll, you know, he he's, what are you doing there, man? I'm just trying to clean this camera. Don't mind me. Okay. So <laughs> what he, sure he, you know, he's got thousands of people uh, who follow him and, you know, will fight for him tooth and nail because for whatever reason they, I, they identify with him uh, rather than identifying with themselves. And he usually just offends a few people, but this time he's decided to offend an entire nation. So within hours of Queen Elizabeth dying. And I just want to say to our, to our English listeners, we here at the Shadow Initiative are very sorry for your loss. Uh, I'm sure she was a very lovely woman. And um, to the Windsor family, I guess, you know, our condolences go to you. Yeah, sorry for your loss. But um, so within hours of this, of this woman dying, he's already doing a ghost box session. And a ghost box video. And it's like, I refuse to look at the video because I am not going to make this jackass money. Yeah. But he is a fraud. He's been proven a fraud. Yeah. 
over and over and over again. So it's like, I just don't understand why people feel the need to defend this person like he's really doing something good. And but they keep pushing that button and giving him money. Yeah. Money exactly. for his fake research, dude. Right. I mean, this is the same guy when Betty White died. Bam, next day he's talking to her meatloaf. Bam, next day. It's like, dude, come on, man. Stay yeah. within the realm of believability. But I think that that brings us uh, to an issue, like a side issue. So we're going to go on a little bit of a side quest here. Um, when is it okay to start hunting for, you know, for the possibility of a haunting? I mean, obviously, first off, there must be, you know, some activity involved that would spark that desire to go investigate. But when does it go from being ghoulish like this to being like, okay, we could start doing this. And that's why I brought up the, uh, the, the memorial and the uh, site of the, um, uh, from September 11th at the top of the show. When does it become less ghoulish and less like, yeah, okay, let's, let's start looking for ghosts. I think personally, it's no, it's no person's right. Uh, Like uh, I'll just create something fictitious here. Let's say if down the street, there's a huge fire at the school and it burns Mm -hmm. the school to the ground, teachers die, whatever, you know, hopefully something like that never happens. That would be like me the next day or the next night sneaking into this, what's left of this school and trying to hold a communication session and then telling the world I'm talking with these teachers. Mm -hmm. Okay. That is wrong on so many levels that has no consideration for the family. Right. You you know what I'm saying? You're not respecting anything. You're, you're basically, you're not doing that for your own research. You are doing that because it's marketable. Right. Period. He, Steve Huff did the Queen Elizabeth thing because he knows everybody's Googling Queen Elizabeth right now. He, mm-hmm. he, he's smart when it comes to marketing. He wastes no time, but sure. it's not for the research. It's, it, it's for marketing. I think to, to answer your question simply, if somebody from the royal family contacted you and me and said, we would like you to come investigate and tell us if this is her, that's okay. <laughs> Which would absolutely never happen, but no, you know, land sure that's okay. Yeah, you know, we've been asked to come and give our opinion. You know, we're sensitive to the subjects, that kind of thing. But just going out and it's it's so disrespectful on so many levels, man. It's just when it's I think a lot of people have this misconception in the paranormal community that everything's up for grabs. That they're entitled oh. to it. Yeah. They're entitled to it. Well, if that pl- I'm going to ground zero and I'm going to conduct a You're not entitled to that. Who the fuck are you? Right. You know, you're just doing it for your hits on Twitter, you know, or fucking YouTube. Yeah. Whatever. Fuck them. <laughs> you know, show some class, show yeah. some discretion, you know, you know, maybe I, I, I know that that empathy exists somewhere um, it's just, it's just you that needs to show it. So I just want to wrap this up with, with this incredible, um, paragraph here. He says, I want to rip away the decades old desiccated and hardened conspiracies and cultish enclaves, like tearing off an old scab. 
I want to heal the infected and oozing wound ew, with a steady regimen of, and I, and I, I love this, data-driven logic, humility, which I think should be highlighted there and is the most important part of this. Academic rigor and transparency. Dude, it's like people think that if you're told your photograph isn't a ghost, that you're going to lose credibility. No, that's normal. Right. You know, you know, I mean, you and I have been doing this for decades and decades. You know how many times I've been wrong? A lot. Probably a lot more than I've been right. Does that make me any less of an investigator? No, I think it makes me a better one. So it's like these people on, on these Facebook groups that, oh, how dare you say that that's dust or, or moisture in the air? So, you know, Dude, it's not hurting anything to tell you the truth. You know, you just didn't get it this time. Sorry, buddy. You know, and that's and a lot of it is ego driven. Mm -hmm. And that's where the humility comes in. You know, I, I always I always tell my son, you know, whenever you walk into a room, walk in like you own the place, but always be humble. You know, always be ready to apologize if you need to apologize always be kind to those who des who are deserving of that kindness. And that needs to happen here in the paranormal land as well. So, you know, I, I, I know that he will never hear this, you know, but Luis Elizondo, thank you so much for writing this article. And um, yeah, I, I think we really enjoyed going over this. What, how about you? Oh, absolutely. I've, I've enjoyed going over this. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, thank <laughs> you so much for your time. So, with that being said, um, you know, brilliant article by a brilliant um, investigator. Just don't mind me. Oh, now, now I'm focused. Yeah, you're, you're, like, you're like throwing me off, man. So, okay. So, so here's what we're going to do right now. We're going to, <laughs> we're going to go into news of the weird. So yes, here, here at the, at the um, shadow initiative, paranormal TV and talk, we like to highlight those stories that don't necessarily get the time that they deserve in the mainstream media. Um, here's four of them. <laughs> Fucking four. We actually got four. Now, three of these are going to be sexually based. And, you know, Steven's really into it, man. So, uh, <laughs> well, hey, I just want to say that when we first started this segment of news of the weird, mm -hmm. that we were just doing one a week. But ever since we started it, more news of the weird keeps coming out. Coincidence? I think not. Now, yeah, there, there, now, now we got four today. So first off, we're going to start with... <laughs> Eventually, the podcast is just going to change its name to news of the weird. Oh, my God. Okay, so teenager hospitalized after usb cable gets stuck inside his penis what the fuck was he thinking i, I mean, love how, it how, how does he get that up there i mean Dude. i do like like the i've seen the usb cable it's like how the hell does he get this up there and how did he not pass out from the pain from the second the usb thing enters his little pecker hole ladies and gentlemen on the screen is the x-ray now the funny, yes. the funny thing about this I love is this. Hellboy here is trying to measure his dick. Yes, that's what he's doing. So most of us would grab a ruler, <laughs> tape measure. You know, if you've got an iPhone, you can use the digital 
measurement, whatever tool app, you know, but he decides to take a USB cable and instead of just kind of holding it along his dick, I mean, because as we all know, there's measurements on USB cables. Oh, yeah. So, so it's he puts it inside. Now, this is where I think this kid's full of shit. Okay. I think he was yeah. trying to do something else mm-hmm. and obviously caught himself in this scenario where, fuck, I've got a USB cable shoved up my fucking dick. I'm going to have to tell somebody. So he goes to the hospital. How do you go to your parents? How do you go to your hospital? Right. right? So what's going to be the first thing a dude's going to say? Oh, I was just trying to measure it because we've all done it. That's just kind of like a dude thing. We've all, you know, uh, you know, I check and make sure mine's at it's good 10, 11 inches every day. I make sure, you know, but anyways, regardless of that, I just, Rick's not even going to comment on that, but (laughs) I think he got there and was like, well, I got to tell him something. And yeah, exactly. I'm trying to measure my dick. I think homeboy, I think he was trying to plug himself in to the matrix. Yes, absolutely. Now, you know, it's it's just it's so bizarre because your wife is a nurse, my wife is a nurse, both of them have worked in the ER, and people come in there with the weirdest shit shoved up inside of them. Um, and before I read a little bit of the article, I will say this. Uh, to quote George Costanza's dad, million to one shot, Doc. <laughs> yeah. So a teenage boy was sent to a hospital with an unusual problem. A USB cable was stuck inside his penis. The incident, which was first documented in a urology case report in Science Direct in November 2021. So now we go from something that's being, you know, painfully private to your ass is in a science journal. <laughs> apparently saw the 15 year old arrive at the hospital as he had apparently been trying to use the cable to measure the inside of his penis. However, the cable had become tangled and knotted while inside of him, causing him to lose blood through his urine. I mean, God damn son. What were you doing? (laughs) You know, come to think, maybe he was trying to charge himself up. Yeah. Or like you said, trying to enter the matrix. You know, you hook it to a, maybe, we don't know where the other end was. Was it plugged into an outlet? You know, maybe he was literally, I mean, tra- maybe I can get an erection this way, a bigger erection. Oh my God. I mean, I, I, I have like images of him, like plugging himself into the wall and just exploding, like his dick exploding all over the place. It's like, dude, what the fuck, man? That's all I could say. That's one of those things. Okay. Rick is it's, visualizing this. I just oh. puppies, 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 teddy bears, puppies, teddy bears. Oh God, it's so like grotesque. Women, women, vaginas, vaginas, vaginas. Oh God, I can't even. Anyway, so stop it. Moving, <laughs> moving on to our next one. This one's great. Carjackers. This is this comes from the New York Post. Carjackers interrupt couple having sex, leave them naked in the street. You so, know. If if you wouldn't have sent me this one, I I've got one that is just like this almost. Mm-hmm. Yesterday in Jacksonville, North Carolina, where where Cap Camp Lejeune is, thirty minutes down the street from where I'm sitting, a woman is all over TikTok, Twitter. People are filming her. She's in the street by her car, naked yelling and screaming at people as they go by and everybody's got their phones out dude 
I have to send you the link to that. But it's not quite as good as people having sex and getting robbed at the same time. Yeah, so this is great. So it starts off, this kinky carjacking could have stopped traffic. A security video shows a shocking moment and amorous couple having sex in their sedan were busted by three thieves. The incident occurred uh, August 17th in an unidentified city in Brazil with the surveillance footage subsequently shared to Twitter. Night vision video shows the three thieves approaching the white vehicle parked on a quiet suburban street. The trio violently pry open three of the car's doors in an attempt to jump in and make a quick getaway. But they find something else. They're startled by the not-so-autoerotic activities going inside. The, I love the alliteration here. The lusty lovers were completely naked, splayed out across the back seat, and partway through their steamy session. So, I mean, the, this is the way, I guess, some porno <laughs> happens. But th- this is amazing. It's like all, all they wanted to do. All this couple wanted to do, and I don't understand why they can't, you know, find a room or be in their house, which kind of makes me think that, you know, some infidelity is happening here. But, um, hey, you know, if it is, it's out in the open, man, because these three cats walk up, try to steal this car. And what do they find? People fucking. (laughs) I mean, could you imagine having to tell that story when you get home? Uh... Oh, yeah. I just got my car stolen. I was in the middle of fucking. Yeah. I mean, come on, dude. And to wrap up our triple set of sexual weird news, this one is really awesome. This one comes from yahoo.com. And Kate Moss recalls Johnny Depp. Like everybody loves Johnny Depp right now because, you know, he won that huge court case against his monster of an ex-wife. Um, gifting her, Kate Moss, a diamond necklace he had hidden in the crack of his ass. Now, I don't know if he took this from, you know, his his ex-wife and he had to, you know, find a way to pony it out. Who knows, man? But not all presents come in pretty boxes with the colorful bows. Like the time Johnny Depp gifted Kate Moss a diamond necklace that he pulled out of his bum. While reviewing over... While reviewing over some of her famous looks with Vogue, the 48-year-old British supermodel told a truly unforgettable story about a gift from ex-Johnny Depp. It stemmed from what she wore to the 1995 CFDA Fashion Awards, a white Galliano dress along with a standout sparkling necklace, which was given to her by the spirits of the Caribbean star whom she dated between 1994 and 1998. That diamond necklace Johnny gave me, Moss proudly said, They were the first diamonds I ever owned. Then she launched into a dirty details of how they were gifted. He pulled them out of the crack of his ass, she offered. We were going out for dinner, and he said, I've got something in my bum, demonstrating how he put his hand into the back of his pants. Can you have a look? I was like, what? I put my hand down his trousers, and I pulled out a diamond necklace, that diamond necklace. Uh, You know, hey, you know, that one, that old like celebrity magazine was like, oh, celebrities, they're just like us. We're pulling diamond necklaces out of our ass. Um, this, this is extraordinary. I mean, I, I would, I, if I was Kate Moss, I would probably would have looked at Johnny Depp and been like, keep that smelly shit to yourself. I'm out of here. Dude, if you were Kate Moss, this would be an entirely different show right now. 
I'm sure it would be. But I, 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 why, why, why carry it up your ass? I don't get that. Yeah, I mean, unless you're a mule or something, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? You're like smuggling. I, I mean, but, but you know, Johnny Depp's just this quirky dude that I think he does things uh, for the reaction. Right. You know, yeah, we, so, we mean, do a lot of that on this show. I mean, yeah. we're not pulling things out our ass or shoving USBs up our penis, but there's still yeah. time. Yeah, there's still time. Um, but then again, you got to kind of wonder something. You know, Johnny Depp, handsome guy, great actor. I'm sure that there is not a woman alive who wouldn't be like, okay, yeah, I'll accept that diamond necklace. Sure, why not? Yeah. So we, we got a fourth story here, and it comes from you, Stephen. We do, we do. And this Rick, is new to me, folks. Rick, we all know who Norma Jean was, you know, Marilyn Monroe. Norma mm-hmm. Jean was her, her mm-hmm. real name, Marilyn Monroe. Well, there's yeah. this big to-do, this new movie coming out called Blonde. Yeah. And, and it's a biopic about Marilyn Monroe. However, it's got an NC-17 rating because it's oh. supposedly pretty racy, right? Okay. But that's not the cool part. The cool part, let me pull up my notes here, is the ghost of Marilyn Monroe made her presence felt during the filming of this movie Blonde. Okay. She was throwing things around when she got angry. Um, The actress who plays Marilyn Monroe is Anna de Armas. And uh, these quotes are from her. She says, I truly believe that she was very close to us. She was with us. because she was trying to the the actress is spanish and of course marilyn monroe was not so Mm -hmm. she felt that like marilyn monroe was there guiding her with her mannerisms all this stuff um she says i think she was happy she would also throw things off the wall and get mad if she didn't like what this actress was doing Mm -hmm. so i guess if the actress wasn't portraying something right marilyn the real one would uh act out she says, you know, this sounds very mystical, but it's all true. We all felt it. And what and now what I found was interesting is her ghost was only involved in the scenes that they shot in the real places. Um, they, they shot in the same apartment where Norma Jean lived before mm-hmm. she became Marilyn Monroe. They all she lived with her, her, um, her mother. She was taking care of her mentally ill mother. Yeah. And the death scene was also shot in the same room where Maryland actually died. Wow. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And then you tie the ghost thing to it. So, you know, that it, actually makes it just slightly more believable, slightly more believable. But at the same time, this is a uh, no name actress. This is her first big break. It's it's a it's a movie about Marilyn Monroe. And let's hype up the fucking movie. You know, let's say I was haunted during the movie. You know, it's hard to say. It's, but I thought it was, it was interesting nonetheless. Yeah, no, it really is. But like, like I said, it just makes it slightly more believable. But at the same time, I think that a lot of these, um, they put these kind of press releases out there to make people like, oh my God, you know, the ghost of Marilyn Monroe, she, you know, gives her blessings to this. And it's like, you know, I, I think that that just kind of like feeds into a lot of people's superstition. Now, but the reason I included this story was because you wanted to talk about Steve Huff. 
Yes. Now, is is this actress essentially doing the same thing as Steve Huff? Yeah. You know, a week, a week or so ago, we talked about Sammy Hagar saying Eddie Van Halen's ghost visited him and they wrote a song together. And he's mm-hmm. now releasing this song. And you know the fact that he's telling people Eddie helped him write this from the spirit realm uh, is going to help sell this song. Right. Exactly. You know? so it it's, makes, it's, it's marketing. It makes you wonder, man. Yeah, I mean, it's it's marketing. I mean, how much is real and how much is bullshit? And I'm going to go about with 90-10. Yeah, I'm with you there, buddy. So from here, we are going to travel to Western Russia, actually the European area of Russia. Um, Now, as we all know that there are many lakes around the world that allegedly have some kind of uh, creature in it, Uh, Lake Champlain, Champ, of course, Nessie in Loch Ness, but there is the Brosno Dragon. And this is in the it's Lake Brosno in Andreapol. I, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, in Western Russia. Now, people have been seeing a lake monster in Andreapol for centuries, and they believe it to be a dragon because, you know, it allegedly looks like a dragon. Um, and they've actually been seeing this thing since about, about the early 13th century, uh, to, you know, to be a little bit more specific. So the history is basically this. So it was rumored in the 18th and 19th century that a giant creature was actually seen rising up out of Lake Brosno and then submerging back down. And there's even a really weird story that during World War II, this Brosno dragon, this lake monster, apparently big enough to do this, swallowed a German airplane that had crashed into the lake. So a lot of people, they do have their theories concerning this. And a lot of people think that what this could be, not a dragon, not a lake monster, but a giant beaver or a giant pike. Yes, I've heard the, I've heard the beaver theory quite a few times. Quite right. A few times. See, now this, this is very much a cold water lake, as with, you know, most of the uh, lakes that allege to have a lake monster in it. They're all cold water lakes. So... If I'm going to accept that there could be something odd in the lake, I don't think it's a lizard and I don't think it's a dinosaur. It's got to be a mammal of some kind, unless this is a creature that has evolved to live in this lake. But I think that the Brosno dragon, the only reason I I bring this one up is, is because it's one of those cryptids that doesn't really get the time of day that it deserves and for people to really look at. And do I think it's a dragon? No. Do I think it's a lake monster? No. But it's a possibility that could be a giant fish or maybe even a beaver. Who knows? But the Brosno dragon is definitely one that doesn't really get talked a lot about in cryptozoology. No, it doesn't. And it, and it kind of, it, it, this kind of springboards off of what we were talking about last episode with Sasquatch, Bigfoot, Yeti, Tennessee Skunk Ape, all, all being the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's every continent, every country has a lake monster. Every one of them, you right. know, there's so is there an inkling of truth to some of this? 
you know, I, I do think as, as, as far back as man dates, you know, I think it's very, very reasonable to believe, you know, dinosaurs just didn't disappear overnight. You know, it wasn't like a flash and they were gone. This, mm -hmm. this, this happened over a period of time. Evolution happens over a period of time. So I think maybe at one point in history, there were things similar to what these legends and myths and, and all that are based on. But nowadays it's getting kind of harder to believe that. But at the same time, the one thing that, that keeps me going with the intrigue is there are still so many areas of this planet we haven't even stepped foot on. Oh, we know more about the surface of the moon and Mars than we do yeah. about our own oceans. We've said that before here on the show. Yeah. Yeah, it's still, you know what? It's still very much a big world. And, uh, you know, despite the fact that science and exploration is constantly trying to make it smaller, but uh, there could still be things out there that we don't know about. Well, yeah, and I agree. And with that being said, Rick has brought us penis today. And now he's going to Peter. So we're going from penis to Peter and Underwood. You see, it just caught me and you can't make this shit up. No, you you can't. It's it, it's amazing how people I, I think that people actually think that we write this show. No, man, <laughs> we come up with this shit on the fly. <laughs> Dude, I'm in my pajamas. Literally in my pajamas. So we put no like, effort. We put no effort into this. No, no. It's just we just come up with and and talk. Yeah, it's just basically me and Rick meet a couple times a week, talk to each other, and let you guys listen. Yeah, exactly. So it's just a couple of guys having conversation. So we're gonna go over to Ghostwatch, and this is part three in a series that I wrote for um, the for SpookyIsles.com, and it's called Trailing Peter Underwood: The Rookery. I'm Rick Hale, and this is Ghostwatch. In the spring of 1988, Peter Underwood came across a newspaper article detailing an unusual haunting in a house on the outskirts of London. According to the article, Mary Knox Johnston, mother of the famous yachtsman, Robin Knox Johnson, was experiencing strange activity in her, in her home known as the Rookery. Peter Underwood wasted no time in writing to the elderly woman asking if he and his colleagues from the prestigious ghost club could come and spend a night in her house. She wrote back and was all too happy to allow the learned group of ghost hunters into her home. And on a Friday evening, they arrived and discovered the claims were not only true, but far more going on than anyone could have anticipated. Any good ghost hunter knows that interviewing the witnesses is key to any proper investigation. It's a way to gain perspective on the activity as well as revealing anything that could potentially be less than true. The lady of the house launched into her story. One night, shortly after she took possession of the house in 1963, she was awakened by a most unusual sound. Coming from outside her door in the hall, she could hear what sounded like swords clashing and voices raised in the heat of battle. When she gathered the courage to peek her head out the door, all she found was a dark and quiet house. Mrs. Knox Johnston knew what she had heard, and although it unnerved her, 
she was determined to not allow the sounds to scare her off. From that moment on, the activity in the house intensified and went beyond mere unexplained sounds. Objects seemed to take on a life of their own and would move about the house as if guided by unseen hands. Odd scents would overwhelm people in certain areas of the house and frightening apparitions, including that of a little boy, were seen by visitors lurking about the shadows of the house. Peter Underwood and his colleagues could only speculate who these entities were and why they were causing so much trouble for this kindly old lady. Mrs. Knox Johnston did a little digging of her own and uncovered some interesting historical facts. She made some inquiries in the area about her house being haunted and learned her ghosts may be a, of a very old vintage. She learned that three cavaliers were ambushed by roundhead troops. Knowing their lives were on the line, the three men drew their swords and put up one hell of a fight. The story of cavaliers and roundheads caused a great deal of consternation for the group of ghost hunters. Through historical research, it was discovered the main part of the rookery was built in 1729, nearly a century after the English Civil War. And other parts of the house were added much later in the 20th century. This fact could only mean one of two things, either a much older structure once existed on the spot, or the events leading up to the capture of the three cavaliers were somehow attached to the land upon which the rookery sat. A not altogether uncommon thing in psychical research. More details were discovered about the dates of the cavaliers. The three men survived the battle only to be executed by hanging from a tree that still stood on the property. Locals in the area tend to avoid the tree as they believe it to be cursed, and it gives off a feeling of deep despair. And if, if that wasn't strange enough, several unexplained car accidents have happened around the tree. Mrs. Knox Johnston herself has claimed that she crashed into the tree after her car was commandeered by a mysterious force that took over her car. Thankfully, she escaped injury from the accident, but her car was beyond repair. Although Mrs. Knox Johnston appeared to be the primary experiencer in the house, several other people witnessed the strange activity in the rookery. The two sons of Doris Crawford were awakened in the middle of the night by the clashing swords and were so frightened they couldn't go back to sleep that night. As the investigation progressed, investigators cataloged the sounds of footsteps and voices that seemed to come from nowhere and yet from everywhere. With all the activity, Peter Underwood decided it was time to hold a seance. Perhaps a medium could give the entities inhabiting the house a voice. As the seance unfolded, three entities came forward. One of the ghosts claimed to be associated with the house, but it was hard to make sense of what he was saying. The words came out in an unintelligible jumble. The second claimed to be from long ago while the third claimed to be a roundhead who said he perished by the tree where all the terrible car accidents occurred over the years. When the entities in the house stopped communicating, Peter Underwood decided the investigation was over, and after bidding their farewells, the ghost club departed. Five years later, Peter contacted Mrs. Knox Johnson and asked if there was any recent activity report to report. Happily, the elderly woman replied that her ghost appeared to all be quiet and there was nothing more to report. Whatever or whomever haunted the rookery appeared to finally be at rest. I'm Rick Kale, and this was Ghost Watch.
John, John, And with that being said, Rick, I want you to yes. take the floor for a second because relevance is relevance. And why don't you tell the folks at home about your Ghost Watch book that's on its way? Yes. So the uh, cover is being worked on right now as we speak by Mark Hetherington, a brilliant artist from Blackpool in the UK. And he actually did um, my second book, Behold Shocking True Tales of Terror and Some Other Spooky Stuff. And my third book, um, which was Bullets, Booze, and Babes, A Haunted History of Chicago and Illinois. Um, so this is my third book with Bayul Aethris Publishing. And this is the third book that he's doing. And it's coming out next month. And it's called Ghostwatch. So I'm taking this in a multimedia kind of a kind of a way here so be on the lookout for that because it's coming up soon before halloween so you're going to have some great ghost stories that i've written over the years for various different places uh paranormal underground uh spooky isles and um the supernatural magazine and um paranormal study so this is just a compilation of all the stories that I've written over the years, which made writing this book really easy. So be on the lookout for that because it's coming soon. And speaking of ghost stories, you guys and gals at home, you have until October 15th to send us yours at yes. shadowinitiativetalk at gmail.com or you can go to shadowinitiativetv.com and click on contact. Tell us your ghost story. And uh, we're going to do a whole episode of fan listener ghost stories. Right. So it's very important. And it's like, I, I feel like we're practically on bended knee every week when we ask people to send us their stories. But this time we mean it, folks. I mean, we mean it always, but this time we really mean it. We want to center an entire show around you. Our, our community of shadows, even if you're not part of the community of shadows and you're just a casual listener, please send us your ghost story. We want to read it on air and it devote an entire episode of the Shadow Initiative to it. Exactly. So once again, shadowinitiativetv.com, shadowinitiativetalk at gmail.com to reach directly out to us or have even more fun and go to facebook.com slash welcome to the initiative where everything that we do is done there. Correct. Great show, my friend. Yes, it was. You owe me five bucks. Oh, wait, we'll just get, we'll just yeah, take, that yeah, the, yeah. take that off the top. Dude, right I here. could say that for the rest of the year and you're still going to owe me money. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, we, we, it was a really good show. Really loved going over that article by uh, Luis Elizondo uh, because not only does it apply to ufology, it also applies to paranormal land as well. Excellent. Well, my friends, thanks again for tuning in. Please join us on Facebook. Let us know where you are listening to the show. We know we're everywhere, but we don't really know where you all are listening to it the most. Exactly. So we will catch you all next time. Have a great week. Oh, wait, wait. wait we're Scott something. And, and let's not forget that next week on the 19th, we have two oh, weeks. Yes. Two weeks being featured Damn. on uh, you know the homepage of Amazon Music. So yes. all you got to do is just open it up and boom, there's our ugly faces. Who does that? Uh, what? 
apparently Amazon. Well, I know, but why? <laughs> anyway. I guess I, I guess we have a lot more listeners than just well your mom. So I guess <laughs> we'll find out. All right, guys. Until next time, take care. See you later. <laughs>